Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman, back with the 165th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Really great to see everybody today. We've already got uh, 28, 29 people with us, and uh, we're going to go today uh, with nuclear power, small modular reactors, and the myth that atomic energy is around the corner. Uh, we're going to talk about Julian Assange with the great Vinny uh, DiStefano, um, uh, Wendy Lederman is going to fill us in on um, uh, Ron DeSantis's private Gestapo. Steve Goldsmith is going to talk to us about a very lethal gas that people know very little about. And he's got a, a, an event coming up next week. Well, I haven't plugged that. Um, Steve Caruso is going to give us the report from Ohio, where today state official Davios is going to try and stop a statewide vote on voter rights. I mean, you know, Ohio is just endless. It's just truly amazing how, how awful the stuff is uh, going on there. Um, and uh, we also have a, a situation in Ohio, never ending. We had a priest who was arrested for opening his church up to the homeless. <laughs> I mean, you know, is Charles Dickens writing our national story here? It's just astounding. In the second hour, we're going to have a free-for-all about people, someone that everybody's talking about, two people that everybody's talking about, and the upcoming Super Bowl, which will be, this will probably be the most watched television broadcast in human history. I, I'm betting on that, this upcoming Super Bowl, because the whole Michigan with uh, Taylor Swift, I, I am sure that the viewership, it would also be a good game. These two very good teams. Um, uh, and we are going to start in the second hour um, at 6 o'clock Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, for a, a full-hour discussion on uh, sports and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey uh, and the Super Bowl, which, uh, you know, in the past uh, a decade, the number one most highly viewed uh, shows on television, 10 of them, the top 10, have all been NFL games. And, um, and, and now we have the right wing completely flipping out about Taylor Swift, um, who is, should be a great gift to the GOTV movement. So uh, get out the vote movements. Uh, whether she endorses Biden or not, she is going to encourage people to get out to vote. And we have with us a great sports star from San Francisco, Lisa Matros, who is the only person I've ever met who was honored at a baseball game, right? A Giants baseball game at home plate uh, in the, not, not candlestick, right? But the new the new field in, in, in San Francisco uh, because she's such a great teacher. So Alyssa, of course, is going to be a 49ers fan. So we'll be dealing with that in the second hour. Although I shouldn't speak for you, actually, but um, we'll talk all about that. In this first hour, and it's really great. People are piling in. we got 30, 36 folks. Uh, we have uh, Tim Judson with us. Uh, Tim gets the award for best hat. And uh, it's also been a true stalwart on the safe energy movement for God knows how long. And, uh, but he has um, become a, a, he's a true expert uh, on small modular reactors and the real situation with atomic energy. And uh, for those of us who've been with this issue for a long, long time, which includes Carl Grossman, who's also with us today, uh, the reality is that there's no there there for nuclear power. We're stuck at the moment with 94 atomic reactors. Uh, they're, they're certainly there. But uh, people who are out advocating and getting all bent out of shape 
about how we need allegedly need new nuclear plants, the reality is there aren't any. And there won't be any new nuclear plants in this country for at least five years. Even if all of us, and this isn't going to happen, but even if all of us who have been opposing nuclear power for all these years suddenly turned around and said, yes, go ahead and build new nuclear plants, they couldn't do it. There's no way physically to build new nuclear plants in this country. Uh, Tim, can can you, uh, for at least the next five years, Tim, can you uh, explain what's going on here? Tim Judson from the Nuclear Information Research Service, and then we'll talk to Carl Grossman. Go ahead, Kim. Tim. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, I, 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 I put a little bit of, you know, hesitancy to your to your characterization of me as an expert on SMRs. I'm actually not sure that anyone's really an expert on small modular <laughs> reactors because they're not something that exists yet. And so, right. um, you know, it's it's really hard to, you know, I mean, one of the things that's really hard to sort through right now is that there's a tremendous amount of, of you know, uh, you know, really fallacious news coverage about the nuclear industry, um, making claims, you know, that sort of talk about SMRs and other new types of new reactors as though they already exist, um, when in fact all they are is blueprints and, you know, PowerPoint presentations. Um, but I think what, what we're seeing, you know, happening is that, you know, the nuclear enterprise has been a failure for many decades. I mean, you'll remember from back in the 80s, Harvey, you know, after when, you know, when the current reactors were were being built, that Forbes magazine, you know, ran a, ran a front page cover story with the quote that the nuclear energy was the biggest managerial disaster in U.S. business history. And, and that, that, that's a direct quote, by the way. It couldn't be justified. Right. That's a direct quote that called it the largest managerial disaster in, in American business history. Uh, nuclear power industry. Now, we bring this up because the energy uh, situation and global warming, as we're seeing this insane storm here in Southern California. And by the way, I'm sitting in a house in Southern California where it's been raining for two days. It's a monsoon. And we're praying this uh, tree in our backyard doesn't fall over. But the LA Times ran a picture um, on the front page of a tree that fell on a house and a car a mile from where I am. So this is not cool. And Dave Saltman is going to come on the phone later. His sister um, uh, was seriously injured by a falling tree in San Francisco, for God's sake. So we're having a real problem here with the the, uh, climate. And of course, we don't have to, you know, everybody knows that. But the bottom line is that this whole movement for nuclear power is completely mythological. These small modular reactors, which is the total focus of Oliver Stone's pro-nuclear movie. movie. Uh, there's, I'm not going to give you the name of it, but I'm in it. <laughs> I, my, everybody, every leftist dream of being in an Oliver Stone movie, <laughs> he fulfilled by putting me you know, allegedly in a bad light, I think it's fine, in his film. And we are reissuing our challenge to Oliver Stone. If any of you know Oliver Stone, we're issuing a challenge to have him come on the call and debate nuclear power. But the whole focus of his film is on these alleged small reactors, which Tim is telling us now. When is the first? When can when can we expect a small modular reactor, Tim? Well, it's, I mean, it's you know, I mean, if they're they're they were doing odds on this in Las Vegas, I mean, you know, it'd be impossible to place a bet because you'd lose your money. I mean, the you know the the the, the current talk is that is that they're going to have the first of these you know newly designed reactors, you know, online in around twenty thirty. There's two projects that are you know, getting over each over a billion dollars in subsidies from the Department of Energy. Um, 
that you know to to build these what they're calling demonstration projects, which are um, you know which are you know under contract to come online in 2030. Um, that's you know um, I mean that you know none, none, neither of these projects has their designs approved. They don't have licenses from the nuclear regulatory, and they can, they can't begin construction yet. And so you know for first of a kind reactors to to you know be here in 2024 have to apply for licenses and permits and then begin construction and have it all done by 2030, the, the, US, the nuclear industry in the U.S. has never accomplished this, at least not since the 1960s when there was effectively no, no actual safety regulation of, of nuclear energy. Um, so, you know, the expectations and the promises that are being made, um, you know, there's really, there's really no actual credibility to that. Right. So the whole energy situation in the United States now boils down to this reality. There are 94 atomic reactors that are operating in this country. They are they average about a thousand megawatts or thereabouts. The last one of them is coming online. (laughs) Sometime they keep getting kicked back in, in Georgia. The last four atomic reactors built in the United States have been complete catastrophe. Two of them in in South Carolina have never been finished, and they won't be finished. $9 billion for two big holes in the ground at VC Summer in South Carolina. The other two coming in in Georgia were originally supposed to cost $15 billion and be finished in 2015. They are now, one of them came online and the other is trying to come online and having all sorts of problems, and that cost is close to $40 billion. So they're $25 billion over budget in the two in, in South Carolina, North uh, in Georgia. And at this point in time, there are no other atomic reactors under construction in the, in the United States uh, uh, of the old, old type. And then the new type, the small modular reactors, Tim is saying, can't be built. We can't even get one under the best possible circumstances for them for five years until 2030. So every, here we are. We're in the midst of these horrible storms, and everybody's talking about we have to have we have to get rid of fossil fuels. Everybody, well, not everybody, any, everybody sane agrees that we have to stop burning fossil fuels. We've been told the nuclear power is the answer, but they can't build any. Is that right, Tim? Well, they 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 can't build any right now because they don't have any permits or designs approved. Um, so so on that practical level, they they can't build they can't build them yet. And you know what we've what we see with with you know with with nuclear energy, and you've just been talking about it with with you know with the most recent examples of Summer and Vogel in the U.S. is that you know nuclear construction uh, always runs over cost. It, they always run into major delays, and and so the idea that you know they 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 may have enough political support to to begin construction on these new reactors that were that you know that that are that are now being subsidized. Whether they whether they ever complete them, whether they whether they come in anywhere close to the cost or the time, you know the 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 you know the, the dates that that are being promised is you know is what's really uncertain. And so I think you know what you've got is an industry that is you know playing a huge game, a political game of hurry up and wait, right? Like we need nuclear. Like the argument is we need nuclear power because the climate crisis is here, but. You know, we're going to need to wait 10 to 20 years for these reactors to get built and come online when we need to reduce emissions by 2030. And so, you know, that's I think that, you know, the, there there is this there is a way in which nuclear power has one, one of the roles that it's that it's played for at least for at least the last couple of decades, if not much longer, is that it's the perfect excuse to do nothing to phase out fossil fuels. 
right? Like if you're if you're going to build thousands of megawatts of nuclear reactors in 20 years, then there's no point in building you know tens of thousands of megawatts of solar and wind now. And so you know we've seen this happen again and again where utilities use big plans to build nuclear reactors sometime in the future as an excuse to not invest in energy efficiency, solar, wind, the things that are actually available and affordable now. Right. <laughs> so here, here's the big picture on this, is that this mythological, we call them small mythological reactors or small uh, mutant reactors, uh, this whole myth that we're going to get these small reactors. Sometime maybe used, reactors. So, sorry? Sometime maybe reactors. Sometime maybe reactors. It's that, the, that the, these unicorns are going to come running down the road, and we won't need to go to renewable energy. And what we're seeing now in a particular reactionary moment, you know, I'm a, a firm believer in the astrological uh, impacts um, uh, of the planets on, on the political picture. And we're seeing, you know, authoritarianism all over the world. And we're also seeing a huge attack on renewable energy where they're, they're killing solar left and right, especially right here in California, which is completely insane. And one of the, th- one of the excuses for doing it is that we're having a nuclear renaissance. This is like the 10th nuclear renaissance that I can remember. And, you know, it's utterly unbelievable uh, that, uh, that they're killing solar and wind uh, as fast as they possibly can. But this is the excuse they're using. So, you know, when we're looking at the nuclear and we're looking at the energy issue and we're looking at the climate crisis, this whole insanity about small reactors is at the core of it. And it's a complete myth. Right, Tim? I mean, they just can't do it. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, there's, 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 I mean, if we're talking about climate survival at this point, then there's, then there's, you know, it's completely insane to, you know, to, to start talking about nuclear, you know, supporting nuclear power for that. And what's interesting is that, you know, there's at the same time that there's, you know, that all this propaganda about, about, you know, how great nuclear is and how, and how essential it is to solve the climate crisis. Um, there's been a series of things that have happened just in the last two months that really proved just the opposite. And one is that, you know, that, you know, there's there was this big there's big commitment, you know, announced or this big this big announcement made by the U.S. you know State Department at the at the U.N. climate conference, you know, back in December that they had, you know, 22 nations on board with, you know, with the goal of tripling nuclear energy by 2050 worldwide. And that sounds that sounds like a big goal. It would be I mean, be completely huge and unprecedented for the nuclear industry to even even come close to achieving. Um, but at the same time, there were there were 130 nations and eventually 200 at the at the climate summit that endorsed a goal of tripling renewable energy worldwide by 2030. And you know the fact of the matter is that renewable energy already provides twice three times as much electricity worldwide as nuclear energy does now. So if they're going to triple renewable energy by 2030, and then I'll get to the second point of that in a, in a minute. You're already talking about, you know, renewables providing 10 times as much energy as, as you know, as nuclear power does today within the next five to six years. So why, why would anyone continue investing in nuclear beyond that point when it's clear that renewables are going to are going to be able to fill the gap already? The yeah, thing that happened was that the International Energy Agency, which is, you know, no great friend of the environment all the time, um, you know, put out a report last month. That showed that, in fact, you know, we are on track to be able to meet the goal of tripling renewables by 2050, and that 95% of that is happening in wind and solar. The, the 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 things that are blocking it are things like the fact that you know that that you know that that are the countries just can't access the financing to be able to make the investments in doing it. And so, at the same time, we're seeing the nuclear industry pushing the U.S. Congress to expand international finance for nuclear energy projects. 
that wouldn't be happening, you know, until the 20, late 2030s, 2040s. It's completely irresponsible. And it's shocking in many ways because a lot of the impetus in the United States is coming from the Democratic Party. Uh, Joe Biden has been a major promoter of nuclear power. And I was just horrified in 19, um, no, in 2007, um, I walked the halls of Congress with Bonnie Raitt to uh, talk to members of Congress about killing a loan program for nuclear. And we did it. I mean, Bonnie and Jackson Brown and Graham Nash, we had a lobby day and we talked to members of Congress and, and we talked with Harry Reid, uh, who was the Speaker of the House at the time. No, uh, um, Senate majority, the majority yeah. leader of the Senate. And Nancy Pelosi, who was, I think she had just become, no, she was, I think she just became Speaker of the House. And Ed Markey, who became a senator, and they all agreed, and we killed a $50 billion loan program yeah. for new nuclear plants. It's an enormous event for which we can thank Bonnie Raitt, Jackson Brown, and, 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 and other people. And w- in one case, we had lunch with a congresswoman from the Denver area named uh, D- Diane DeGette. And she was really nice, and we had a very successful um, a, a session with her, and she helped oppose the nuclear loans. And I just saw now that she's signing a bill that promote nuclear power, <clears throat> which we can't can't be built. So it's mind boggling to me. Carl Grossman, do you want to jump in on this? Carl, you you did a lot of reporting on the COP conference. Can you tell us uh, what drug were they on when they were talking about tripling nuclear power? Um, because it's completely insane. Oh, Carl, we always have to unmute you. Sorry. Let's see if we can get you here. Carl Grossman is one of the great, been with us many, many times, and he's he's uh, one of the great experts on nuclear and has rep- done a lot of reporting on that COP conference. <laughs> there we go, that Tim mentioned. What are these people thinking when they're talking about tripling nuclear power when they can't even build any? Well, the, the small modular nuclear reactor gimmick, and it's more than a gimmick. I'm just actually trying to put onto the chat and I'll do that in a couple of minutes, a real devil's workshop for small modular nuclear reactors, and that's taxpayer-supported Idaho National Laboratory. And I was just going to uh, put uh, put on their, their pitch. I mean, they're, they're big on this. Uh, I just did a, also I did earlier, five minutes ago, a link to Gordon Edwards, and he's the president of the Canadian Coalition for Nuclear Responsibility. And he's, he's a specialist on... Uh, small modular nuclear reactors, and other so-called advanced reactors. Uh, with the small modular nuclear reactors, the, the bit is they build them in factories and then ship them to the site, and then they'd be there. Like Presto, you'd have three or four SMRs uh, on that site. It wouldn't be like has occurred through the years, uh, a big battle, a big fight against a nuclear plant under construction in your area. Uh, they'd be a factory produced, and uh, boom, they're there. There's all kind of problems with these uh, proposed machines, uh, particularly a proliferation problem, nuclear weapons proliferation problem. And uh, I mean, just huge problems, nuclear waste, of course, and so forth. And as Tim is talking uh, about, uh, the big rationale these days for more nuclear and advanced and improved, new and improved nuclear power is, is, is climate change. And this is no way to deal with climate change. The way to deal with climate change is to uh, uh, commit fully 
to safe, clean, green uh, energy technologies, and they're here. Uh, oh, uh, right. no miracles are needed. Uh, existing technology can provide all the safe energy that we uh, that we need. Uh, so it's it's just another chapter in this long, hideous chapter of people promoting and pushing with falsehood after falsehood. They lie like they breathe nuclear power. Right. And, and the point is that, you know, this sounds like we're uh, beating this horse over and over again, nuclear power. But it, it's like it's at the cutting edge of why we can't get into climate change, why we can't save the climate. If we can go to 100 percent wind and solar, which we have available um, uh, now and ready to go, um, we can solve this problem. And I don't have to worry about my tree falling on my house here in L.A. where, you know, <laughs> came out here worrying about drought. And all of a sudden, we're, we're building Noah's Ark. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, David Hughes uh, from Pittsburgh. I uh, 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 haven't seen you for a long time, David. Uh, we have 50 people with us on the call. We're going to go from this to Julian Assange. And, <coughs> and, um, uh, and then the, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to have a basically a, a Taylor Swift sing-along. So um, uh, we'll do that. But David Hughes, go ahead. Harvey, uh, it's good seeing you too. Is that real behind you? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, uh, a bunch of us just got uh, finished, quote unquote, with fighting Energy Harbor's extension of the Perry plant for 20 more years. This is the pro-nuke strategy right now. To, as Tim was sort of saying, I think they want they need more time to build these fake reactors. So they're extending the license. The NRC hasn't turned down. One license, as far as I know, extension. <clears throat> so Perry uh, is getting 20 years, and then Energy Harbor is going to sell it. And Perry is dumping tons of tritium into Lake Erie, radioactive tritium. People don't know it, and we can't get people northeast in Ohio to know anything about it because the goddamn media won't cover it. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, I, I got to warn you, we, we're not allowed to use four-letter words, Dave. You haven't been on the call before. So um, uh, that's, that's not a bad one. <laughs> oh, you're including damn. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I think so. I'm not sure. But and if you want to curse everybody, we've issued this before. If you want to curse in Yiddish, it's perfectly fine. But otherwise, but yes, Perry on in Ohio is the only reactor in the United States that's been hit twice by an earthquake and damaged. It was the first reactor in the United States to be damaged by an earthquake. And now it's, it got hit again. Um, and here they are extending the license 20 years, as they're doing in the, at, at Diablo Canyon in California. And, and they're even trying, and Tim is well aware of this, to take a reactor that was shut at Palisades in Michigan and, and, and restart it. It's insane. It's like you got a car on blocks in your front yard with no engine and you want to go out and, and, and get it back on the road. It's unbelievable. Amila Reeson and then uh, Steve Goldsmith and then Tatanka. Wasn't there a a reactor where there was an unexpected earthquake? It wasn't very large, but it seemed to do some damage in some uh, a reactor called Anna or North Anna. North, it's North, North Anna, Anna Virginia, right? And that was the earthquake that also damaged the Washington Monument. But right. uh, yes, North Anna Virginia was hit by an earthquake. But I, I just wanted to say that every time I hear, for example, Carl was just re- referring to small nuclear reactors. I like to call them so-called small because. Uh, although they may be smaller 
than um, than the ones that are online right now. I think that you have to you have to assume that the nuclear industry um, uh, did a uh, a study to find out what would be most appealing and what would sound like it's really not too dangerous. It's just small. So they did some kind of uh, you know name testing, maybe you know the. And they decided that people would more be more likely to accept them if we call them small. That, that's well, I it. think the next thing they're going to do is they're going to call them unicorns, so that everybody will will love their uh, you know unicorn nuclear unit number one, unicorn unit unit two. Uh, um, uh, Steve Goldsmith, did you want to time in and then Tatanka? Thank you, Myla. Yeah. Yes. Um... One is I think the history of nuclear uh, energy is tied to nuclear weapons. I forget who it was, read a book about, you know, how atoms for peace was a way of, and I think that that's still kind of uh, thinking is operating. Um, The oil industry, oil and fossil fuel, I think they're part of this strategy because they're pushing hydrogen, they're pushing uh, gas versus oil, they're pushing carbon capture, all these fantasy strategies all go to say, don't don't make uh, renewables, true renewables work. And so I think this is part of their strategy. You know, it doesn't matter whether it works or not. They cook it up to divert it. I, I Because of the thing I'm going to talk about later, I get a newsletter from Oil and Gas Journal, and it's full of this kind of stuff. And then the last thing I think we have to talk about Obama, who got the Nobel Prize for wanting to do away with nuclear uh, weapons, and he produced, re revamped the nuclear weapons and then also approved two power plants. So, well, it's yes, very deep. We mentioned it's, the two reactors in Georgia, Votel. And, and Tim, do you want to tell the story of how that started, Tim Judson? Uh, well, yeah, I'd hand it over to you for that, Harvey. Okay, because Obama, you know, his, in such classic Obama slickness, he, he referred to his energy policy as all the above. And all the above included these two reactors in Georgia, where he got $8.3 billion in interest-free federal loans in 2007, I believe. No, 2008 or nine, I think. And um, um, uh, they were supposed to be done in 2015 or 16. They were supposed to cost $15 billion. They're just now coming online, um, and um, they're costing forty billion dollars. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and this by the is way, all that, Obama. So and by the way, go. that eight point three billion in loan guarantees they got from the feds back in two thousand nine or ten got increased to twelve billion um, a few years later when the when the cost of the project skyrocketed and they went when Westinghouse went bankrupt. Right, and Trump, and it was Trump who gave them the extra money. So they should... forget, Harvey, that Obama's right-hand man was Rahm Emanuel. Used to work for Constellation in Chicago. I yeah, think. Rahm Emanuel was a piece of work, boy. Um, yeah. uh, thanks for that, Tim and, and David. Um, Tatanka, uh, you are you live within, what, 10 miles of Diablo Canyon? Um, right. Are you going in the dark yet? Uh, not yet, fortunately. Um, I wanted to ask any comment that Tim and Steve uh, I mean, Tim, Tim and Carl and Steve, he wants to chime in. We're looking at, you know, perfect examples of corporate capture of government, of media, of political parties, of Oliver Stone, I, I suspect. Um, and then also commenting about what was said about the original reason for 
nuclear power reactors existing is the creation of fissile material for nuclear weapons. So do anybody have any links on weaponry in space or other places where they actually need these things to continue? Tim? Well, well, there's a couple of things, and I'm really glad to talk that you raised the issue of, of, you know, of essentially corporate capture of the, you know, politics and the regulations, because, you know, I think I think that's what really is going on here is that the is that the utility companies, you know, are blocking every, you know, every, every you're blocking the, the transition to renewables in every way they can. And again, you know, nuclear is a great excuse for them to do that. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, as a for instance, um, you know, the what what David was raising a couple minutes ago about the reason why they want to keep all of these old reactors running for as long as they can is because, you know, that keeps the industry alive, you know, until someday maybe eventually, you know, in their in their dreams, they can they can build new reactors to replace them. Um, you know, the the nuclear industry, um, you know, through the through the through the through 2021 and 2022 with the big federal legislation that got passed that legislation could turn out to be worth over 100 billion dollars in various subsidies and incentives for the, for the for the nuclear energy industry it's an extraordinary amount of amount of money that was put on the table for that whether they can actually take advantage of it who knows they didn't do very well with the with with the last round but um, but the nuclear industry spent over 190 million they reported spending over $190 million lobbying the federal government in 2021 and 2020. Now, the vast majority of that were actually the utility companies that, you know, that, that, that run and operate nuclear power plants around the country. Um, the, the utility industry itself spent over $200 million lobbying the federal government in those two years. There's overlap between the nuclear industry and the utility industry. But, you know, the, the you know, and, and the utilities, you know, don't just run, you know, don't, don't just invest heavily in politics at the federal level. They're even they're investing even more money in you know in, in politics and lobbying and everything else at the state and local level because that's where their bread gets buttered by the state utility commission and so the you know the the level of political power that this that the utility industry has to be able to block you know climate action or you know or you know or or to or to, or to accelerate it is massive. And right now they're clearly siding with slowing the pace down, just as you guys are dealing with in California, you know, with all of these, with all these changes to, you know, to, to, to net metering for rooftop solar and, you know, these things that are really torpedoing the, the you know, the, the, the potential for us to accelerate the transition to renewables, you know, much, much faster than, than the utilities, you know, ever want to see happen. Jim, you're, you're right. We see it at the local level, uh, listening to the attorneys for Mothers for Peace, uh, you know, in touch with the NRC, totally can't talk with them, corporate captured, even the California Public Utilities Commission, and of course, PG&E, and then Gavin Newsom's reversal, it's all tied in to... Well, to captured. give you a scope, thank you, Tatanka, to give you... Carl, a... anything you want to say about it? What's that? I asked Carl if he wanted to comment. Oh, oh well, <laughs> well, let me jump in on California here. Anybody, and then we'll go back to Carl... Anybody who doubts that, you know, I, we keep talking about nuclear power, and I'm sure some people roll their eyes, but the reality is that this is at the heart of the co- climate crisis. This is what's causing the problem. And because we have these two nuclear plants in California that, uh, that there's a vested interest in keeping them operating, and apparently Gavin Newsom, who could, by the way, be president in 2025, don't write that off. Um they're keeping Diablo Canyon open. At the same time, the CPUC passed a single change to the rate structure in California and killed more than 80% of the rooftop solar industry in this state. 
We had 70,000 people working in rooftop solar, which generates more power than Diablo Canyon by far. And they, they have laid off more than 14,000 workers because of a single change in the, in the state uh, um, uh, rate structure and, and killed 80% of the rooftop solar industry in this state. It's catastrophic. And it's all because of nuclear power. What can I, I tell you? I want to uh, just mention one other villain in this piece, which is the building trades mm-hmm. who have sided, who are control the Democratic Party in many ways because they produce the troops and are completely have an actual contract with the Western States Petroleum Association to do their bidding in the state legislature. And I'm sure they have a similar contract with the nuclear people because right. they want to build those uh, and build the big grid product projects and they're uh have rammed this uh solar um anti anti-solar restriction. i mean who would have thought in this country that you could be against solar power the only comment i want to make on that steve is when the agreement was signed with jerry brown and gavin signed on to it to close down diablo canyon all the unions, including the IBW and the building trades, were for that, along with the environment. They see the path there. They're, we worked with them uh, in, in California Green New Deal legislation. They're willing to work for it. But you're right. You know, the bread is buttered there. They're trying to find a way forward. But the money just overwhelms the whole problem for well, people they, they, depending they, on their livelihood. Right. And the unions, weirdly enough, are supporting, they support big desert-based uh, solar projects. They're in favor of those, but they're against rooftop solar because they haven't bothered to unionize the 70,000 workers in the rooftop solar business. Why don't they get off their butts? That's a five letter word. And, um, and you know, organize the guy, the men and women who are putting the panels on the rooftops. So they haven't done that. It's a, it's a nightmare. We're going to have to wrap this up quickly, but uh, Connie Klein, you're in Cleveland. Um, well, you know, uh, Tim, Tim was talking about, I can't resist, Tim was talking about how much money the solar, the uh, nuclear power spends, industry spends on on lobbying and how very, very correctly, astutely pointed out, a lot of the money now is going to states, to the regulatory agencies. <laughs> In Ohio, they bribed the Speaker of the Ohio House with $61 million in order to get a billion-dollar bailout through the Ohio legislature. And they got it through the legislature, but the FBI caught the Speaker of the House, and he's now in prison for 20 years. You know, I wish that was more widespread. Connie, I know you you were close to Larry Householder and have been sending him cakes with files in it to get him out of jail. But uh, give us a quick report from Cleveland, if you would. I was actually not going to, I put some stuff in the chat and I put this in the chat. I, I wasn't going to talk specifically um, about Perry or. or the, okay. we got to do it quickly. So, <laughs> But um, I attended two very sobering NRC meetings uh, this week, all day meetings regarding autonomous advanced reactors, at least heavily automated, if not fully autonomous to reduce um, operators at at these advanced nuclear plants. Tim, were, were you at that meeting? 
Were you? I wasn't. You, okay. I wasn't. But yeah, well, we've we've yeah, yeah, very we have scary. Seen yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there, there a couple of weeks ago in Congress, there was a, there was, you know, a representative from one of these, you know, SMR companies uh, testifying in Congress saying that they only, there's only four jobs that need to be done to operate their quote, quote unquote, operate their reactors. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's one of these things that I think hasn't really, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it, it hasn't, that they haven't really been called to call to account on is that, you know, a lot of these new reactors, what they're they're designing them to have as few employees as possible. So aside from in the, you know, in, in you know, from temporary jobs in building them, you know, where where are they where are going to be the jobs in nuclear power if this is the direction the industry goes? So basically, we're getting we're getting self driving SMR small nuclear reactors like self driving um, Teslas that can't re- can't recognize stop signs. Um, and uh, or, or 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 children crossing the street. And then, the- Tony, did you? Um, um, uh, my condolences, by the way, on having spent uh, eight hours at an NRC meeting. I don't know how <laughs> you could do that. I do want to mention very quickly, by the way, that they did purge. Um, th- there was one guy on the NRC, Jeff Barron, who was re- at least reasonably receptive to uh, questions of public safety, and they just purged him from the commission. But go ahead, Connie, finish up. I want to give Steve a minute to mention his uh, 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 upcoming event, and then we're going to go to uh, Julian Assange. Actually, that that was all I wanted. Another cheery aspect to advanced nuclear reactors. That's really all I wanted to, to well, say. Well, I can't imagine anybody spending eight hours at an NRC meeting, and I hope you got therapy uh, <laughs> afterwards or at least go down to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something. Okay, so anyway, listen, folks. Uh, Tim Tim Judson, always an honor to have you with us and come back soon. Great discussion, Thanks for having me. You know, I've been, um, uh, I did in 1959, uh, there, you know how there's foreshadowings in your life that you can never account for. In 1959, when I was bar mitzvahed, the Schachters across the street gave me a copy of Our Friend the Atom from Walt Disney. And I actually did a report on nuclear power in ninth grade. Who knew? And if you asked me from 1959 to 1973, I would have told you the nuclear power is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then, but then when they came into our town with the two reactors and we stopped them, I was already an expert on nuclear power because I had read our friend the Adam. So there you go. Um, listen, <laughs> thank you, uh, Tim, again. Uh, come come back anytime. In fact, I may want to talk to you Wednesday night on our radio show. So let me get let me get to, in touch with you, Carl. Sure. Uh, it's great. We have fifty people on this on the call. This is the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. This will be rebroadcast uh, uh, Thursday night uh, in New York at the Progressive Radio Network. We're gonna go very quickly before we go to Julian Assange. Steve Goldsmith, you have an event coming up. Uh, do you want to tell us about that event and on on and this uh, briefly on this gas issue that you're raising? Go ahead. I I. I... Can't have five minutes? Well, do it quickly. If you can do well, four, that would be great. Okay, I can share a screen? Yeah, please. Uh, okay, so um, ooh, hmm, I had it here. Okay, and your your okay. issue is hydrofluoric. Okay, so let me talk. Okay, okay. so um, the we're having this event on the 17th. I was, there are... In, there are 41 refineries in the U.S., and if I have a little more time later, I can scroll through them and show them there might be one near you. Um, we uh, This is a chemical called hydrofluoric acid. It's the most dangerous chemical, according to the EPA and several other government bodies. Um, 
It's used in large quantities in places that have, are vulnerable to uh, accidents like explosions, which happened in Torrance in 2015. Um, and there was almost, an, it was a near miss, according to the Chemical Safety Board, of um, 50,000 pounds. It forms a cloud and moves through the community, similar to the Bhopal um, chemical, a different chemical. It killed 16,000 and injured over 100,000. Um, so we're trying to get them to convert, which there are uh, alternatives run by large companies. It means that these refineries would have to spend a bunch of money. We have this mass organization. It's a great thing for talking to Republicans because a lot of these uh, communities are, uh, refineries are in community areas. Um, and it's a great thing to use against Republican Congress members who haven't done anything. Our Democratic Congress members, Lou, Barragon, and uh, Maxine Waters have all been very strong, have come to events, spoken out. Um, Janice Hahn and the Board of Supervisors of LA County have provided transportation to local regulatory bodies, which have failed uh, to act despite what their staff has said. And in the next week or so, the EPA will possibly uh, put a rule out to require them to change, but probably not. And then we're gonna need to raise money for lawsuits but if you go to TRAA.website, um, and up at the top, there are all kinds of little videos. And later I could play a very sweet little video done to the song by Leonard Cohen of Everybody Knows. And this is um, extremely dangerous, low chance, but very high consequences. It would wipe out the economy of Southern Los Angeles County. So if you're in LA County, come down to Torrance, Help us. Everybody will, every person, additional person will, uh, you know, raise spirits and keep this organization going. Um, and uh, it won't go till one o'clock. It'll probably be 10 to 11. And then we'll march over to the refinery and stick a big sign on their billboard saying uh, MHF, HF has got to go. And the M8, the M that you'll see around is because they put in some phony modifier that doesn't do anything. Well, listen, Steve, you'll come on, get in touch with me afterwards and come on our radio show, California Solartopia, on Wednesday, uh, and we can we can promote it again, okay? So make sure I have your uh, contacts. And I, I hope I hope by next Saturday it stopped raining, um, you know. We have two weeks. It's two Saturdays. It's a week oh, from okay. Saturday. Oh, two weeks, yeah, yeah. You can drag right. and drop the, your flyer into the chat but, if you want yes. to share it. So, oh, yeah. How do Very I do good. that? Yeah. Just thank you. Grab, grab the folder and drag it into the chat. Okay. And, and Wendy in Florida, you said you're you're close to a similar facility. Is that right, Wendy Wiederman? Did I read your chat properly? Uh, there aren't any in Florida. Um, oh, okay. There's a four in Louisiana. There's some near Chicago. There's one 10 miles from Joe Biden's house in Delaware. And it has an endpoint, according to their report to the EPA, of 17 miles for death or serious injury. And Joe Biden is living right in there, which we have sent multiple letters. Uh, and the 21 attorney generals, uh, uh, including uh, California and New York, wrote a letter to the EPA saying they can and must drive these refineries to convert. Okay, well, listen, uh, get in touch with Milo and I. We'll have you on uh, Wednesday in LA and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll draw attention to this. Thank you so much, Steve. That's great. Thanks. Greatly appreciate it. Hopefully we'll listen to your uh, song later in the show, if not next week. 
Um, I want to remind everybody next week we're going to have Keith Ellison on. Thanks to uh, Heidi Tripp, our our uh, uh, friend in in uh, Saint Cloud, Minnesota, and um, uh, we want to have ways that he can shut the prairie. The uh, Monticello Prairie Island will be great, but Monticello they're having real problems with, and uh, uh, getting a public nuisance order is a great idea. But uh, we will continue to fo- uh, focus on that. Hopefully, Keith will show up next week. That will be great. Uh, uh, um, thanks again, Steve. Okay, uh, fifteen minutes uh, to the hour. Um, when we're going to be joined by Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we want to talk about Julian Assange. Um, we, we have uh, Vinny Stefano with us. Vinny, you want to take um, it over and tell us what the latest is with Julian Assange? Actually, and, Vinny got stuck at the doctor's well. with his mom, right? Um, Ann Batiza is here. Vinny's um, got stuck at the doctor with his mom right now. So um, he sent Ann, who he speaks very highly of, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. She does great work. Sorry about okay, that. Okay, Ann Batiza, okay. you're in Milwaukee. Is that right? Right. Um, yes, we, we have an Assange Defense Milwaukee chapter, and um, I'm part of the National Organizing Committee for Assange Defense. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk. Um, and a uh, an anonymous donor is funding a project uh, proposed by Paula Isella and myself uh, through the Courage Foundation and Assange Defense, and it is to uh, mail postcards. This kind of this, oops. Let's see if you can. Uh, not. I'm going to have to get rid of my background. Uh, postcards to uh, all members of the House and. Uh, Let's see if I can get rid of the, where's none? Here's none. It's all okay. right. Just, there yeah. You so anyway, um, it's to uh, mail postcards to all 432 members of the House of Representatives, asking them to support House Resolution 934, which is a resolution to both drop the charges against Julian Assange and drop the extradition. And on the card here, are listed four major abuses by the CIA and the FBI and our, our government uh, in the pursuit of Julian Assange, including downloading the contents of his lawyer's computers and phones when they went to visit him in the embassy, surveilling his conversations there, eliciting false testimony from a uh, criminal who then recanted that testimony after the trial, and then plotting to kidnap or assassinate Julian. So it's impossible to see that Julian could get a fair trial in this country. We want to highlight this for all 432 members of the House. We're hosting mailing parties all around the country. And um, I'm wondering if anyone on this call would be either interested in taking part in those mailing parties. We supply the cards, the stamps, the labels for every member of the House. And uh, we ask people to sign uh, the back of the card and uh, make a, put a little message and, and maybe even put their return address label on there so that uh, the person knows who's signing. So that is what we're doing. And if anyone is interested in this, if you could put your name in the chat, uh, your name and your email address, uh, then I can get in touch with you and be helpful if you tell me where you are um, and what I was doing today, um, you saw Jim Morrell here. We're mailing out these boxes uh, of materials to uh, people around the country who are hosting parties uh, to put these together and send them in. 
So that's my spiel. And by the way, a critical time is coming up. It's called Day X for Julian, February 20th. That is the day that the UK High Court will decide whether or not his final appeal can be heard. If it cannot be heard, they might immediately extradite him. Uh, if it can be heard, they'll probably play the waiting game they've done and, and postpone it, that hearing for quite a while. But thank you very much, Harry and, and Mike for letting me speak about this today. And again, if anyone is interested in uh, doing this, put your name in the chat. I'm going to have to run off to the post office to mail these boxes <laughs> that we've been putting together. So I'm going to have to run off. I apologize in about. 10, 15 minutes. So if you if you oh, think no, you might be interested, fine. please do that. Um, I cannot imagine that the Biden administration, given all that's going on in Gaza and the border and all the other stuff, I cannot imagine that they would want to bring Julian Assange into the United States at this point. Uh, is that, am I I'm off here? I mean, it just, it would make no sense before the election to bring him into the country. Well, you know, the, the, it, they've done a stalling game. The major hearing was back in 2020, and he's been in Belmarsh Prison only on remand for extradition to the United States, going through court procedure after court procedure that you you know, I mean, it it's so Kafkaesque. I can't, obviously, I don't have time to go into that, but uh, yes, they, they may just keep him there for another round of, of hearings. Uh, Vicki, did you have your hand up? I saw I Vicky. Is there a Vicky with her hand up? I don't see. I don't know. Vicki Olvera, no, did you have your hand up? clapping or something. Oh, okay. 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 But um, yes, I mean, it's it's been ridiculous. He's not been able to sit with his lawyers. He was put in a glass cage in the initial hearings back in February of 2020. Then he was in a plastic cage with little slits and he would have to kneel down and send post-its to his lawyers in the back of the courtroom. And then they would do like uh, hand it off to the people so that his lawyers in the front of the courtroom could actually get his note. He could barely hear. He had a mini stroke during one of the trials. Uh, it, it's, it's been a travesty. It's a travesty and the media are not covering it, which is why the American people know absolutely nothing about this case other than what the CIA and the intelligence community has been feeding them since 2010 to smear Julian. Julian's an amazing publisher. And, uh, you know, in the, in the trial, uh, there were all, was all this testimony about how it was Julian who insisted on redactions. And, and it was Julian, uh, who, uh, spent, well, four months with a, a, a newspaper in Italy to re- make sure that names were redacted. And, and so, all of these things that people think they know about Julian, I hate to say it, but they're lies. Well, it's astounding. You'd think this guy, given the, the treatment or the mistreatment that he's endured, you'd think he was a mass murderer or something. But he, this guy has, um, um, all he did was publish stories. It's astounding. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. Mary uh, Butler, Snowball, do you want to quickly ask a question? Where I, I want to slip in one more thing before we go to the football stuff. Mary, did you want to say something? Yeah, um, just real quick. Like, I'm uh, 100% on board with uh, Julie's uh, fight for freedom. And uh, we can't uh, we can't be acting like we're astonished that media isn't covering it because 
90% of our media uh, and news outlets and everything are all owned by the same people. Even here in Spokane, a spokesman review, there's they tell me, no, we don't have investigative reporters anymore. We just report what we're told to report. That's what I've been told by the news agencies with television, as well as the local newspaper. And this is predominant throughout the United States that all our local newspapers no longer do investigative reporting. They just report what they're told. And as long as that's going on, people like him will be put on trial. Anybody that steps out of the status quo. So any investigative reporter stands a chance of being in the same shoes he is. So if you know people that are investigative reporters, if they don't stand with him, they will eventually end up on the same chopping block as he's on. Thank you. Very well spoken, Mary. Thank you so much for that. It is it is terrifying. And um, I just want to add one thing. Uh, one bright note is that two of the lawyers and two of the journalists who visited Julian in the Ecuadorian embassy, who are U.S. citizens whose rights were violated, her Fourth Amendment rights, are suing the CIA. And the judge in that case is allowing that hearing to continue. So they're in discovery now, which is wonderful. Where is the uh, trial? Southern District of New York, uh, John Cadle is the judge. I was actually there when he made the, he uh, he's he rejected the CIA's motion to dismiss, uh, not uh, in part and enough so that the the uh, lawsuit can continue. So isn't that where Trump is being tried? If they like cr- cross paths with Donald Trump going into the courthouse? I don't know. Oh, okay, and, and I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not That's up on right. that. I so, see. Um, uh, can I ask Sandy Bolzenius? You say I sent my contact to you, but I don't see your contact. So I'll put my email in the chat. And if anyone, uh, if I don't get to you, please uh, get to me. And uh, I'll put my email there in case you want to take part in this. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely great. Essential stuff. Um, um, Wendy, you've got a report on. Um, uh, DeSantis's uh, Gestapo, which I want to move, if you don't mind, to the second hour, and I'm, I hope you're going to be writing a, an article about it. That would be great. Oh, Vina Colley is ra- raising a hand. Vina, did you want to say something from Southern Ohio? Vina, uh, hold on here. Vina Colley has been active against the Portsmouth nuclear facility in Southern Ohio. Vina, there you are. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I just want to say a couple days ago, we got a newspaper already go out about the plant and they're ready to turn over this 80 acres to Sodai, the community reuse group that that's paid by DOE. And they're calling these two modular reactors are calling them uh, powerhouses now. And so they're ready to go forward with the two modular reactors here at Piketon. And they want to send everyone's transuranics waste to Piketon for us to reprocess and that's been the biggest secret here since the 50s. We've been reprocessing since 1953 or 54 when they started production. And so they have it in their mind. They want to clean up all these other sites and they're going to send their plutonium that's got transuranics in it to Python for these small modular reactors. Wow. Thank you for that, uh, Vina. The bad news from Ohio just keeps coming. Uh, Steve uh, uh, Caruso, we were going to talk um, uh, briefly about what's happening today. Um, in uh, Ohio, where the um, uh, Dave Yost is going to intervene. Can you tell us what's happening with this voting rights bill? And 
maybe towards the end of the second hour with Wendy, um, uh, if people get tired of football, we'll we'll talk again about that. But w- what is happening today in Ohio on voting rights? Well, the Supreme Court in Ohio is supposed to get on Yost and make a decision about whether he can block the petition of a group uh, that the head of the title of the petition is Ohio Voters Bill of Rights. And similar things have been passed before in Ohio, and they can't understand why, you know, he's calling it misleading and it's misrepresentative. So it's actually not a referendum, but it's a constitutional ballot adjustment, just like the uh, abortion or pro, pro-rights bill was passed yeah. last yeah. fall. So, so, yeah, Dave, so the, Dave Yost is the attorney general of the state yeah. of Ohio. Is that correct? Yes. And he actually is talking about running for Senate against um, uh, Sherrod Brown. No, that you're he, talking about somebody else. That's, oh, uh, yeah. is that the LaRose? <laughs> I, I try to forget his name. I'll tell you. I, yeah, <laughs> I he's, guy he's is a reprehensible just, guy. He's an upstart, so, man. To, today, he is challenging the right of you know hundreds of thousands of Ohioans who signed a petition to have a constitutional amendment on the ballot with a laundry list of everything we support on this call of uh, protections for the right to vote in Ohio. And he has taken issue uh, with the uh, title <laughs> of the bill. And this is Dave Yost. And um, his has gone to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court has come to him. And um, they're saying now that they're not going to allow the state, the, the voters of the state, to vote on a voter bill of rights, which is, you know, outrageous, beyond outrageous. Yeah, they, they certified a bill called Nursing Facility Patients Bill of Rights in 2021 and another Ohio Voters Bill of Rights in 2014. So I, I don't think this guy's going to like to stand on or could have been an answer already for the Supreme Court today. But as you see with all the courts and the federal jurisdictions all pausing their actions all of a sudden for some reason, I think the people deserve justice and we need it now. You catch the rest of the show at grassrootsep.org.